Welcome everyone to the Bolt from the Blue podcast. Manchester City 2, Sheffield United 0. Hey guys, the league title's back on again, isn't it? Actually, that's what talks what said in their headlines in the 10 o'clock news. They said City's title uh, defence is back on track. We're only 17 points behind, but it's in this deluded world that TalkSport live in. That's back on track. <laughs> well, uh, you just heard there from uh, the first of our two Bolt from the Blue regular members, and that is Ray. Ray, how are you doing? You were at the game, weren't you? Yes. At the game, I said behind chatting to people, probably for the best part of an hour and a half or something. It's absolutely freezing tonight. But what's warmed me up inside, only just... Is a city win. Amid no little controversy as well for that first goal, but we'll get on to that. We also have King of the Kipax writer and also City Matters Committee member, Colin Savage. Colin, how are you doing? Were you at this game too? I was at the game as well. I didn't think it was that cold, actually, but very clear, crisp night. It was at half past nine, believe me. It probably was, yeah, actually. Well, I, I went out myself as soon as I got home to get something to eat. So we're, we're, we're not basking in sunshine over here in Manchester, but... Um, yeah, it's been quite a pleasant weekend, actually, weather-wise. Makes well, a change. Well, guys, let's look at the lineup. So, uh, Bravo, Walker, Fernandinho, Garcia, Zinchenko, De Bruyne, Rodri, Bernardo Silva, who was subbed for Gundogan on uh, 62 minutes, Mares Aguero, who was relieved just uh, 10 minutes before the end by Phil Foden, and Raheem Sterling, and, and he was uh, brought off just a couple of minutes before the end of normal time for Gabriel Jesus. So that was quite interesting, quite predictable, really, that we saw Otamendi dropped, Ben Mendy dropped. What did you think about the lineup, Colin? Um, uh, yeah, pretty. It was nice to see a start for Eric Garcia. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty well what I expected. So, and, and nice to see Zinchenko back as well. I mean, after Mendy's little gaff on Friday night against Wolves, you know, it was a relatively mistake-free game from him. But yeah, yeah, that's pretty pretty well what, it, what I expected. And over to Ray, it's good to see Bernardo Silva getting a run out in the midfield. Unfortunately, that he also got a run out in the midfield in the game that we may talk about, the one before this one. It didn't, you can't hide it. You can't does, hide that wolf. Did, didn't, didn't really help. But um, let's talk a little bit about that first half, Ray. Um, nil-nil at halftime was pretty uninspiring stuff from my point of view. What did you think? Oh, absolutely. There's no question about that. I thought, uh, I tweeted, that's possibly this season one of the worst halves of football I've seen. Uh, from us, because Sheffield United didn't really offer too much themselves. It's it's not as if we played a team that was ripping us apart uh, and that, that they were playing well and that made us play badly. I, I think they just played a neat, compact game. They knew what they were doing and they stuck to their task. But we, are, I I thought, yes, we've only played, we played two days ago, but I thought we were insipid, lethargic. We seem to lack effort, energy, quality. And above all, movement. And it was just like players were, it was players was at some points walking around. And you think there's no movement. And I don't want to have a, you know, I will have a comparison with Liverpool. You look at Liverpool's front three, you'd expect them to be running around, darting here and there. And our, our guys were just walking around. It was, um, it was disheartening for, for fans. Uh, as well, because we want we were there to, to cheer our team on, and and the team were just walking around, and you know the, the same old problems with poor control, poor passing. I felt at some points the team, some of them appeared nervous because of what had happened uh, recently and how this season had gone. They didn't have their 
usual swagger, their usual confidence, uh, the usual, dare I say, arrogance that we've seen in the last two seasons. And we've seen this season, it's just been dissipating that that arrogance of, of being the best because now we know this season we're not the best. I, I would say it wasn't an exciting first half by any stretch of the imagination. There were no shots on target from, from either side. It, it was an interesting the, interesting watching the tactical battle. Obviously Sheffield United in their 3-5-2, us playing a, a more of a 4-3-3. Uh, I'd agree with Ray, we were very insipid in that first half. There, there was just a lack of spark. We weren't moving the ball quickly. There wasn't any imagination. You know, all the, all the things were famous for and um, I think you possibly can put that down to having played on um, uh, you know 48 just 48 hours earlier uh, less just less than 48 hours earlier so it seemed to me like we were saving our energy for you know for a last push if we needed it but um, I wouldn't say it was a terrible game of football but it, it, it wasn't a great one but it was an interesting Sheffield United, as Ray rightly said, were very, very well organised. They didn't park the bus exactly, but they pressured us. Um, they cut down all the channels. They made life difficult for our players. And, and as much as we weren't taking, you know, weren't playing with our normal verve, they they were very solid and, and, and in many ways cut off all our kind of lines of pa- passing lines and, and things like that. So it it wasn't the most exciting first half. But it was an interesting battle, I would say. It's one of those interesting tactical nil-nils. <laughs> Ray, would you say that um, the fact that the league has gone, I mean, if, if people didn't know it by now, they certainly know it now. And do you, you think that that's just had a, a psychological effect on them? Well, there's a lot of things. I mean, um, yes, I think they're, they're, after the Wolves game, they're going to be physically tired because obviously we played 80 minutes with just nine outfield players instead of 10. Some people said we practically played with nine players and that's it, a bit disrespectful to Bravo. So there's going to be physical tiredness, absolutely, you know, muscle tiredness. There's also going to be mental fatigue playing uh, after two days. I'm a little bit surprised we didn't mix it up a a little bit more, give someone like Gundogan a start or Phil Foden, just because they were fresher than than some of the players we had on the pitch. Okay, you can argue Mares, KDB and Aguero didn't play the full game. Aguero hardly played any of it against Wolves, so they were a bit fresher. So I thought we might mix it up a little bit to have a bit more legs, especially in in the midfield. But it it was, it, it just... I don't know it, it, what is going on at the moment. You know, I, I think from last season to this, you can see them. And I, I, I've said it on my channel many, many times. You can just feel that the team have gone off the boil. Um, I was hoping that this season would be uh, a, a bit of a plateau rather than tailing off and falling off. And I, actually, I think the last season was our plateau. We We have dropped off, I think, mentally. Definitely, there's been a drop off, and uh, for whatever reason, whether it, the players can't motivate themselves again, whether they're still mentally fatigued from ha- having to win 14 games on the bounce last season, whether we needed some fresh legs uh, in the summer, people who could just who were good enough to start, Angelino and Cancelo certainly aren't. Uh, that have made it much more difficult for us this season than last, and we just. I think one of the stats that, I don't know the actual stats, but something that really sticks in my mind and shows to me how uh, 
we've regressed a little bit. Two years ago, opposition teams had something, I can't remember the exact numbers, about 240 passes in a game against City. We had obviously a lot more. Last season, that went up. And this season, it's well over 300 now. Teams are having so much more possession. They're going to have more chances. It's, it, it just stands to reason. And you're going to create more problems for City. So I, you, just by looking at that, that measure that we've given opposition teams for argument's sake, up to 30 or 40% more of the ball than they've previously had it over the last two seasons. It kind of sums up to me where we're headed and we have to actually stop that. Otherwise, we're going to keep dropping down the table. Well, we've got to try to squeeze some um, silver linings out of this. Um, I suppose the one thing, Colin, we can say is that we never expected Clean Sheet and Claudio Bravo in the same sentence. (laughs) Also... I guess there is the added factor that Sheffield United haven't lost an away game since the turn of the year. I think it was January it was. And yeah, um, and, and also Pep is now the, the fastest manager to 100 league games, overtaking Mourinho and all those other pretenders like Klopp and the rest. So there are there, there are a few things to cling on to, I guess. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, um, we're, we're what, third in the table? You know, I, I still expect us to come runners up at least. You know, we're a point off Leicester who we've, you know, we beat quite well. So I'm not a great one about this, oh, you know, stop moaning, look where we were 20 years ago argument because things have changed very differently. But I, I don't think any team will dominate the league in, in the way that, say, United did in the 90s and Liverpool did in the 70s. And I think there's an, ele- yeah, I think there's also an element of, the, you know, the Premier League never stand still. Teams can have a great season and then get worked out. As we've seen with uh, surprise teams, yeah, you know, you look at Sheffield United, they've had a great season. 29 points, they're, they're almost certainly three more wins and they're you know, 99% certain to stay up. But next season, teams will work them out. I think they'll probably find it a lot harder. Burnley came seventh. Teams have worked them out. Um, the Premier League doesn't stand still and we can't expect it to. And... Um, it was very interesting to see to see the way Pep changed things after half time today to try and match Sheffield United's formation. No, 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 we've still got a lot to look forward to. We, we know there's going to be a big rebuild. Six points clear of Chelsea in fourth, ten points clear of United. It's not all that bad. We're still in a couple of cup competitions um, d- domestically uh, as well as the Champions League. Um, apparently, we're still slightly ridiculously favourites for that competition, according to ESPN FC. Uh, Colin mentioned tactics changes that Pep made after half-time in this particular game. Could you uh, expand on that a little bit? What do you think that he did? Well, all I can repeat is what Colin uh, said to me off air, because I was still mumbling and grumbling at uh, uh, at half time about the you know the insipidness and the uh, lack of movement I think I, we did certainly see a lot of players moving around I mean at one point I remember we, I was complaining Aguero wasn't running chasing around because he kind of dropped back and Sterling was up there at some points we had Aguero and Sterling together before Aguero went off in the second half Aguero had dropped back into like an advanced midfield role maybe he was just using that uh, opportunity to have a rest and let Sterling do a little bit of running for the time being or Bernardo or whoever, and he just drops drops back, which surprised me because he only played 10 minutes the other night. So we did ch- change things around. And at one point, I, I remember a couple of times, Inchenko had the ball um, around the halfway line on the left, and there was nobody down the line for him to pass to. He had to you know, stand on the ball and look in- inside. So the players just moved, basically moved 
all it, it seemed all over the pitch. You know, Sterling was on the left, he was on the right, he's in the middle. Guerrero was up front, he dropped back. It, it just be, seemed a bit more fluid. It was a little bit more effective, obviously. I think we had a bit more of the ball. We're a bit more incisive, a bit more. We had a bit more control. Our quality was, I felt, still up and down. I, I'm not. I'm not looking at that, at that from the viewpoint of what we've been for the last two years because we've been fabulous. You can see the drop off in quality in, in 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 simply in passes that are incomplete and and sometimes you could see the telepathy, the understanding of where players were going. It, sometimes it just wasn't there. But I think the probably it was a combination of changing the way you know the the, the tactics and the setup. A bit of luck. I mean, you've got to have a bit of luck in games of football, and I think that helped us get that first goal. And then Sheffield United had to open up a bit more. That obviously gave us more opportunities. And we got the second goal as well. Well, obviously, we went to, um, well, a 5-3-2 or a 3-5-2. I say it was a lot It was a lot more fluid, as Ray said. That helped us because it, it matched Sheffield United. So we had man for man. We were set up very similar. But what, what I noticed was, and particularly where I sit, you notice it was, very often when we moved the ball forward, we'd have six or seven players forward you know, under normal circumstances. And I noticed when we were moving the ball forward. Yeah, we always move it forward very quickly, don't we? And, and uh, try to catch the opposition on the break. We saw that on uh, Friday night at Wolves went for the, for the City second goal. We got the ball forward so, so quickly. I noticed today that we were getting the ball in decent, what looked like to be decent springboards for attacking position. But we had about six people behind the ball or, or on the line of the ball. So we only had two or three. There was one particular incident where Mahrez had the ball in what normally would have been position to break away. But he had no outlet at all. There was there was no one in front of him. A sign of tiredness, you know, mental and physical tiredness. But yeah, the change in formation certainly helped. The fullbacks were getting a lot wider, a lot more forward. We were finding more space in midfield. We weren't really getting players forward quickly enough, apart from that uh, second goal where we moved the ball quite quickly. Well, Ray mentioned a stroke of luck that we got for the first uh, goal there. Ray, can you tell us a little bit about that and what you felt about it? Well, there were two strokes of luck, I will just say, unless we forget, where VAR came to our rescue in the first half where we had an, a break down the right, Aguero tussling with one of their defenders and you can see Aguero doesn't have the pace anymore he could just could not get away from that defender I, I, I thought he was fouled actually we all thought he was fouled I wasn't but sure. I've, not seen, the, I've not seen the replay or anything. I haven't seen the replay either. So the thing is, whether he was fouled or not, and maybe he was, I, I've got to say that the Lions person had a shocking game. Oh. Absolutely shocking. I, I'm, I'm just saying, as obviously, as I see it, it, it doesn't matter that, it, you know, I don't know who the name of the Lions person, but they had a shocking game. And it looked like Aguero was being manhandled a little bit. It looked like it, it's kind of what you'd give as a free kick. A lot of didn't like it I can see why he did it but he just stopped yeah threw his hands up and asked for a free kick which wasn't forthcoming the lines person hadn't signaled for anything and without her support then I don't think the referee could could give anything because he was much much further away and um, it kind of felt like one or two other players stopped as well because they thought we were going to get a free kick instantaneously the ball was leathered down the pitch from one diagonal to the other that they actually scored the goal which VAR correctly ruled offside apparently it was quite tight but from where we were uh, standing it looked miles offside but it apparently it was quite tight so we got away with one there uh, we got away with another one where they I think pushed it down our line and the guy hits it into the side netting so you could see them looking like others do either over the top of our fullbacks or behind Fernandinho, pushing it past him, 
for someone to chase onto. And that's how they had another opportunity. I haven't seen a replay, so I don't know exactly what happened, but it seemed that from where we were sat, it looked like the ball hit the referee, but it apparently it didn't. The Sheffield United players were complaining about the, the referee obstructing a player or tangling with the player. Maybe Colin had a better view. Looked like a very good ball from KDB into Aguero's path. Thankfully, he can still score goals. Uh, and he blasted it into the net. No, I couldn't. I couldn't really see properly what had happened. The ball was played to, towards um, John Fleck, wasn't it? And he sort of ran into the referee, and the ball sort of came off him. Didn't hit the referee and fell to was it De Bruyne? So, so quite fortuitous in that respect. But what we couldn't see because it was kind of the other end of the field from where I was was whether the the ball had touched the ref. If the if the ball had touched the ref, and surely he would have known that then he would have had to stop the game, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. that's why we were a bit uh, puzzled at the time. But I just realised what you said, uh, that that assistant was Sean Massielis, who yeah. was normally immaculate, Yeah, normally doesn't make a mistake, but she had a bit of a... There was one blatant offside later oh, yeah. on that she missed. It was missed by a mile. She missed a couple. She missed yeah. a couple bad ones, I thought. One where the player was coming back from an offside position. He didn't actually get back on onside. He must have been... My opinion was at least a couple of yards offside. It was so obvious. And I think yeah. there's another one where she wasn't up with play. That might be the same one, but there's another one where I think she was behind play and it just looked well offside. Uh, obviously, if you're, you know, if you're sitting or standing 40, 50, 60 yards away, okay, you might get a problem with your perspective. But you know, from after watching you know, hundreds of games of football, you'd like to think you can kind of work it out and it, it just looked offside, and she just didn't give it. She was just not up with play, and uh, that was quite disappointing. It's uh, very unusual for her as well, because I have great faith in her when uh, running the line, more yeah. more so than most most of the uh, male assistants. So did, it's did very very strange. I've got to ask you: Did you see Zinchenko absolutely uh, tearing into her yeah, when yeah. she didn't give that? Uh, because what happened was it ended up with them getting a corner. City players were were livid, and basically Zinchenko he could have got booked for that. He went up and he was it looked like he was screaming in her face uh, because it, it would look such a shocking decision. It's like like a player, players can have a bad game. Yeah. Linesmen, lines people can have bad games. Just sadly in this in in, a, in, a, in the Premier League, the, um, the uh, officials seem to have bad games on a regular basis. And it's actually the surprise is when they have a good game. Yes, uh, Colin, that that goal was on the fifty second minute. We didn't seal the game until the 82nd minute. What about that 30 minutes in between? It was a very um, open, well, I say very open game, but it could have gone either way. I mean, we didn't have a lot of pace in the centre of the defence. I mean, Garcia got well outpaced at, uh, at one point when he had a quite a lead on the on the on the Sheffield United attacker. I can't remember whether it was Moussa or whoever it was or McGoldrick, but he got well outpaced. Philadelphia is not bad. Kyle Walker always seems to go missing when teams counter-attack down that side. They were kind of cutting us apart, and perhaps with a little bit more composure, they might have they might have troubled us. Uh, I mean, fortunately, I think, I say, it's uh, one of my criticisms, we're not always well-organised in defence, but we, we, did, we actually were better today. So, you know, we did manage to slow their attacks down. We didn't throw ourselves into stupid fouls as we were doing on uh, Friday night or and, and as we've done before. Uh, and there was only one one incident that I remember, certainly in the second half, where I think we'd been upfield for a corner and, and or Kyle Walker stupidly giving the ball away. 
and um, Sheffield United came forward in force and we were a, a little bit disorganised. We had people all over the place. You know, w- we very quickly recovered. So I think I was a little bit more, although they were finding gaps, I think we were better uh, better organised, which has well been one of my criticisms, of course. We were certainly better organised in dealing with the breaks. Ray, are there uh, were there any notable performances from that city lineup um, that we uh, listed at the beginning? There, a few people were talking about Garcia, some people talking about um, Mar- Mares. Um, what did you feel? Okay, uh, I, I paid particular attention to Garcia, especially in the first half. Obviously, I've been championing him ever since I set eyes on him for the first time. My my wife worries about me sometimes because, you know, she thinks I must love the guy because they're always talking about Eric Garcia and he needs to be playing. He needs to be given more opportunities. So I paid particular attention to him to see whether he was marshalling the defence or was he letting Fernandinho do that and how he played. And I said this to him after the game, actually. I saw him after the game and I said the only thing he needed was a bit more pace. From that game, it showed me he was lacking. There's not much more pace he can get into him. Um, you know, whether he can do some specific sprint training to to gain a, a, a slight fraction more pace. But that's the only thing that's holding him back. Everything else, I found he was very composed. When uh, we were taking goal kicks, Bravo would always give the ball to, or most of the time, to Eric Garcia. And Eric Garcia would be the first one to bring it out and then decide where to pass it, whether to Fernandini or to Zinchenko or to Rodri or whoever. So he was given that responsibility, and I thought he had a pretty solid game. I didn't, uh, I can't remember any single mistakes. And as Colin said, the only times he looked in any problem was when someone had pace and they, you know, he had 30 or 40 yards to cover or whatever it was, and he'd be outpaced. That was the only thing. So I think Garcia had a, a game that, Shows to me that he he's ready. Did I hear that right? Were you talking to to him after the game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spoke to Eric Garcia after the game. You know, a few games now I've seen him after after the game. It's very fortunate. You know, you don't normally after after a game. Um, you might see the uh, one or two of the opposition players. Uh, saw a few of them, uh, but you very rarely see City players who have actually played the game. Unless there's, there has to be a specific reason. Maybe they got some mates outside, but generally you don't see them. The only players you tend to see are the players who weren't in the squad who were just watching the game and then they they disappear. So I was quite fortunate to see uh, see Eric. I didn't say much to him. Obviously, the players have got homes to go to. Ben Mendy was saw him as well. He stuck around for quite a while. He's the more friendly uh, players who will give a bit more time um, to, to fans. Um, and we've seen you know the, the stuff with Phil Ford, and we seem to see it every other day that he's giving time to fans. So and you sometimes get it with Zinchenko. So there are some some of the players who genuinely give time to the fans, and it's great. And you know you can. I'm not sure how good Eric's English is. It's good enough to wish fans a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and, and everything else. So I have not struck up a long conversation with him. I just said he needs to run faster. And that was it. Uh, but it's good, actually. Uh, you know, when Ben Mendy came out, fans went up there and were uh, patting him on the back and telling him you know, to stay confident. I don't think he's lost any confidence after the game against Wolves and to say, you know, to basically to G him up. And sometimes I think, you know... If, if I was obviously I'm not a player, but I think that would be nice if I was a player for fans genuinely to come along and to try and pick me up uh, rather than have it. Yes, you get it on social media, but this is more intimate. And sometimes it's fans you see, you know, you've seen a few times during the season. It's it's really nice. So Eric Garcia, lovely chap, um, and just needs a bit more pace. 
Who um, you asked me who else had a good game? Mares was uh, it was okay. I mean, one of the problems with Mares is, and people have noticed this, he's he's a bit greedy at times, and he's a, he doesn't take risks at other times, which is like it's very confusing. So sometimes you when you want him to take the risk, he doesn't take the risk, and sometimes when you want him to make the pass, he doesn't make the pass. And there's one one there's two incidents I remember. One where KDB was coming on the outside of him. There was one defender. Amaras was waiting for KDB to, to go past him before uh, laying the ball into his path. And then I think the defender moved forward and ended up as a corner. It was at that moment I thought Mares should have come inside onto his left foot because the player, the defender was waiting for the pass to KDB and he was always going to go with KDB. And that was the moment Mares should have been greedy, turned inside and had a shot because he was probably about eight or ten yards out. That's what I thought he should have done. Later on, when Phil Foden um, came on and he was running out wide, Maras cut in, inside and went inside and didn't pass the ball to Foden. And I think that's been noticed. He did that at Oxford once or twice. One was very obvious mistake from Maras where Phil Foden had made the burst to get past the defence. Maras saw him and didn't pass to him. He used him as a decoy and then tried to take on two or three players, which I thought was wrong. But I think it's been noticed that Maras isn't passing as much as he should do uh, at the right time. So, there, there, And I, sometimes I feel I understand it because he's been struggling to get in the, in the side. And if you want to be a first-team player and one of the first names on the team sheet, you're going to have to show something. So sometimes I feel he's a bit greedy trying to show something uh, and trying too hard to the detriment of the team. But the other uh, big shout-out I have to give, finally, big, big shout-out, it's to Claudio Bravo's right-hand post. <laughs> uh, right-hand post. It was about 80, 88, 90 minutes, around that time. I can't remember. It was just squeezed into injury time. And a cross came in. Player unmarked in, in the in the box. I can't believe how he, someone could be unmarked. He headed the ball. Claudio Bravo did not move. And he's been criticised for not moving his feet. He didn't move anything apart from his neck muscles to turn his head to watch the ball. He had no chance. It hit the post. And as soon as it hit the post, all the, whatever, 3,000 Sheffield United fans who were very vocal throughout that game, they suddenly started screaming uh, for the goal. Um, you know, it was going in. And then the ball bobbled across the uh, goal line and uh, away to, to safety. And that was a, a fantastic moment because that got, obviously, got the City fans gesticulating. Oh, well, I think they were just waving but it's a funny way to wave bye-bye the way they were gesticulating anyway with the, with the upturned hand. I don't know how that works. And uh, they were wishing them on their way and telling them to return to Yorkshire um, because they'd ha- apparently they'd had the day out uh, already. And so that, for me anyway, that was another cracking moment um, that's, that saved that the post help. And it, look, we've hardly kept a, cl- a clean sheet. Um, I think two clean sheets in about 13 or 14 games. So it's good to get another clean sheet. Uh, good for Bravo. Um, and hopefully fans will stop calling him out. <laughs> How about you, Colin? Were there any players who emerged in your good books? Oh, obviously, Kevin De Bruyne had a fantastic game as usual. Um, he, he's really now come back into form. I I, I thought Mahrez actually had a decent game, and particularly uh, highlight his defence work where uh, he was much more active defensively than he has been in the past, which which, which made him, he restricted him going forward. But certainly the first, he was a bit, bit quieter in the second half, but certainly the first half he was quite active and a couple of very kind of good 
uh, runs and, and one particular move to try to set up our first chance where he had a, a shot that was saved. So, yeah, he, he was... Um, Tinchenko wasn't bad, wasn't great, wasn't terrible either. I thought Rodri was well in control. Bernardo, I thought, was very quiet and ineffectual. Sterling had another... Uh, I mean, you, you can never fault his effort, but the, the output we're getting from him is not of the standard we expect. Uh, Aguero, of course, it always takes Aguero a few games to get back into the swing of things, and and, and, and this game was no exception. He certainly looked... Uh, I thought it kept, kept him on too long, actually. Should have been off about 60 minutes, and he looked very, very leggy. You know, by about the 70th minute when he came off, well, it was 80... Uh, 81 minutes, wasn't it? So I think that was about 15, 20 minutes longer than he should have been on. And of course, um, uh, the referee, Chris Kavanagh, enforced that rule that that made him go off at the nearest point. So he had even longer to walk. He really didn't want to do that. So he had to walk. He came off at the far... Uh, the, the halfway line on the on the uh, east hand side. Yeah. He had to walk all the way round to get back, and it, it must have been a very long walk for it him. Was, looked, it was. Yeah. I've got to say, it was really funny when he actually walked off so slowly, and I actually <laughs> it felt like he had taken as much time to walk off those fifteen or twenty yards. Yeah, as it would have taken to walk off to the side, and he he was milking the applause as he walked around the ground. So maybe this is a, a new way. He did a, basically half a lap of honour walking around the cry, uh, ground with the fans cheering his name. And then I think by the time he got to the corner flag, uh, um, once he'd been past the second corner flag behind the goal, we scored. So yeah. I think he ran back on the pitch to celebrate with the players. And suddenly, <laughs> suddenly Aguero had got his energy back. Some Something that had been missing in the previous 10 or 15 minutes, suddenly he was bundles of energy it looked like he was uh, en- enjoying that that moment with the, with the rest of the players. But yeah, it was it that was, was quite funny. Yeah, quite funny. Well, guys, let's talk about this, the the second goal, the Kevin De Bruyne goal. Shall we just go to Colin for that one? Yeah, I mean, it was our, that was when we did look like City of old. Uh, obviously, won the ball in midfield. Uh, Mares played the ball quickly to De Bruyne, which you know we hadn't been playing it quickly. Kevin is you know generally pretty reliable in the, in those situations, so from the uh, edge of the box, central. Uh, and he very cleverly, difficult difficult to see it properly from uh, where I am, but at, at first it looked as though it got a deflection because the goalkeeper seemed to be completely full. But I think he just wrong-footed the, uh, yeah. just wrong-footed yeah. the keeper, didn't he? So it was a very clever finish from the, ed- from the edge of the area. What he did was he, he turned inside the defender. He turned inside the defender uh, to basically open up all the goal. And I, I suspect the goalkeeper thought... He was going to hit it into the far corner. Maybe he yeah. hit the eyes, but instead of hitting it into the far corner, he just uh, put his foot around it, wrapped it around it, and put it into the near post. Goalie had no chance. It, it was a nicely taken goal. Yeah, which kind of killed the uh, killed the game, really, didn't it? And it was so um, it was it was so gratifying just to finish off the year with uh, three points. Another weird VAR decision. I mean, it's not like Liverpool need any uh, encouragement <laughs> from VAR, but my goodness, they get it. And uh, guys, let, let's let's talk a little bit about the summer revamp. Let's give uh, people just a little bit of an idea what you think is is going to happen because there were there there was a um, a report of an interview with uh, Ferran Soriano where he confirmed that there weren't going to be any winter signings. He did 
did leave the door open a little bit. And he, he gave one of those comments where I guess the, the import of it was, well, if, you know, if something comes up, we might look at it. But um, I think most people agree, Colin, there is going to be a, a revamp. Uh, just what what do you think will be the magnitude of this revamp? Will it just be uh, one or two players? Or how do you feel? Well, I think it's going to be quite a big one, to be honest, because I'm just working down a list of players that we, that we know we know will be leaving us and we suspect you know who, who appear to be on the at risk list so so we know i think bravo otamendi david silver and fernandinho i think their contracts are all up in the summer i think otamendi is has got, another, got year. another year oh blimey um, but no he'll he'll go he, there's no way otamendi staying next summer i will i will bet uh, what shall i bet mike's hair that otamendi will leave if, if otamendi stays we'll shave mike's head how about that? I'm not, <laughs> yeah. not going to anything for myself. I've got a hair left to shave. But I think Otamendi will go simply because he knows he's not going to play. He's not going to be ahead of Garcia next season. He's not going to be ahead of uh, Emery Laporte. He's not ahead of Fernandinho if Fernandinho stays, which I think he's still, that's an option. And he's not going to be ahead of the new defender we signed in the summer. So Otamendi's off, uh, as far as I can tell. I wouldn't imagine him hanging around, I must admit. And and with Otamendi, as you say, we've got Garcia to replace him. With David Silva, we've got Phil Foden, who we should be seeing. A, but in both of those, I think we should be seeing a lot more of next season in those roles. Fernandinho, there was talk of maybe another year, but I mean, Mara's revealed in an interview that, that Fernandinho was leaving in the summer. He will be a... Uh, well, it's kind of Rodri replaces him as a defensive midfielder. Uh, and we've still got Gundogan, who I think... Actually, I'll go back to the... A question about the lineup. I think I would have preferred Gundogan in that lineup because I think Gundogan gives us a bit more flexibility. Uh, I don't think Rodri had a bad game at all, but I think Gundogan perhaps would have given us a bit more going forward. But so we've got, but you know, when you look at the back line, we've got Walker, Cancelo at right back. We've got Laporte, who hopefully will be fit. Big question mark over John Stones, as we've said before. Big question mark over Benjamin Mendy, as we've said before. Although Mendy has been looking. Uh, well, apart from his gaff on Friday night, and God knows what he was doing for that, has been looking a bit better. We, we do have Zinchenko, but he's not a natural left back. Obviously, we've got Angelino, who's homegrown, so he's not taking up, not really taking up a place in the squad. So I don't really see a problem in hanging on to Angelino particularly. So, so we, we need a top quality centre back. I think that's our. Absolute number one priority in the summer. A high quality centre back. Who? I don't know. Um, I mean, there's talk about Koulibaly. Whoever it is, I just want them to have a lot more pace. Yes, the back uh, we, we need some pace at, at that. Uh, I say left back, big question mark. I think there's still just about time for Mendy to uh, redeem himself, um, and particularly if he, if he can get sharp again and, and get some games under his belt. Because um, you know, if we uh, fit Mendy with uh, Angelino as backup, releases Zinchenko for a midfield position, which again fills the gap. Partly fills the gap that David Silva yeah. leaves. In midfield, I think we're okay. I, I don't think we need anyone. Up front, I think we need to start thinking about... Tell you, there's a question mark, isn't there, Pant Jesus? I, 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 I quibble with that. I think Gabriel Jesus... When you look at Friday night's game against Wolves, when Raheem Sterling was losing the ball at virtually every opportunity when he needed to hold it up, 
Gabriel Jesus would have given us, I think, more of an opportunity to hold the ball. So I, I, I'm still, I still haven't given up on, on on Gabriel Jesus. But what you don't know is who we've got our eyes on, uh, and how you know we aren't going to be given the money. And certainly, say it was a City Matters meeting last Thursday when Omar Barada quite specifically said we are tasked with being financially self-sustaining. Sheikh Mansour is not going to give us two hundred million pounds to to re-equip the squad. We've got to find that money from from uh, wages saved and fees gained. Of course, the elephant in the room really is is, is Leroy Sane. If we can get 100 million quid for Leroy, that, that, that's a great, very nice contribution to our rebuilding fund. Obviously, but we lose we lose someone in the, um, in the process. Uh, I, I'm always quite impressed why um, Max Aaron's at uh, Norwich, isn't it? I always think he's a great fullback. What, what I'd like to, what, what, what I'd really like to see, it, you know, we, two seasons ago, we paid 50 odd million for Walker, for Mendy, for we paid a fair bit for Danilo. Walker's not been too bad, but I'm still I still got a feeling that the club are a bit iffy about Walker. Otherwise, we wouldn't have bought Cancelo. So, so you know, all that money we spent on fullback to some degree has been money down the drain. So I, I'd like to see us, you know, I'd like to see us do what Leicester did. Although there, there will always be a Manchester City premium buying players for, or, or you know, what Liverpool did. You know, uh, Alexander Arnold and Robertson cost them nothing. You know, Alexander Arnold came out the academy. Robertson, they got from Hull and developed him into a. Well, he's a bit of an arsehole, but um, yeah, a bit. A bit. He's, a, he's a top class fullback. And um, <laughs> I thought he was a top class arsehole. And, well, and a top class of... arsehole as well, yeah. But uh, you've got to say he's a good fullback. Now, you know, why, uh, yeah, when you think we spent something like 120 million and we can't say we have a top class fullback from that 120 million, and the guy who's been doing the best job is Sinchenko, a converted midfielder, I'd like to see us spend a little bit, go for the bargains. Oh, we'll always pay a premium because it's us. I think one of the problems is for me, Colin, is City don't really appear to be doing that at all now. They're back, well, they're looking for, yeah. And they're, they're looking. They're never looking in the. I wouldn't call them bargain bargain basement, but there are players out there now. We don't know how they'd adapt to you know moving up, and that's a risk Liverpool took with Robertson. We're buying top quality players, all right. You know, we're not paying a hundred million. We're paying yeah. sixty million. But uh, they're, you know, we're seeing they're not adapting, or they're taking a long exactly. time to so adapt. Liverpool have spent cheaply on Gomez. They spent cheaply on Robertson. They've bought this uh, fella. This. Um, uh, was it a Japanese fellow from... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Minamoto. Yeah, so they've spent relatively peanuts on him. Uh, they got Shakiri for peanuts as well, 13 million. I'm not sure he's a City player, but he, he's still a decent player, a good price. And, and they've mixed that up with ridiculously expensive players like uh, Alisson, uh, still a girl's name, uh, like Van Dijk and, and a few others in the 40-odd millions like Cater and Fabinho or whatever. So they've mixed it around a bit. And what we seem to be doing is just go for these expensive players. And I was chatting with somebody today and I said, if Foden had been playing most of the clubs in the Premier League, he'd have been playing a lot of games last season. Garcia would probably have been playing for somebody at least 10 or 12 clubs in the Premier League already. He'd have probably played you know, 15 or 20 games. So... We, but we're not developing en- enough of our own. We're not, I wouldn't say we're holding them back, but they're developing uh, slower, I would suggest, in the experience department of playing Premier League games, whereas other teams, even Liverpool, are prepared to give their younger players a chance and take a risk with them in the top top level games. Whereas I just don't think we're you know, taking enough of a chance and a, a, enough of a risk 
and putting enough faith in people like Garcia. Well, guys, I mean, one thing that um, gave rise to all of this talk about the uh, the revamp was that game at Wolverhampton. My goodness, the brainlessness in that game from um, Mendy was just spectacular. Well, one thing that I did was I did get uh, get a chance to look at um, Ray's uh, YouTube uh, chan- <laughs> channel in the in the aftermath of that. My goodness. You were a very, very depressed young man, weren't you? Well, what had happened, what I normally do, if I'm not, I, I've been trying actually for weeks to try and get a ticket for Wolves away. And uh, I tried and tried for, for um, at least two weeks, three weeks. And then I was offered one on the day, but it was too late because I'd already agreed to see, go and see my mom and, and whatever. So I thought at halftime, I'll do a, a quick live review for about 10 minutes at halftime chatting about the game. Uh, and how it was going. And obviously, there were a lot of talking points in that first half uh, with the sending off of Edison, uh, the goal that we scored, and other bits and pieces. That suddenly became a watch along. So, uh, from talking to, to people, the second half started, I was still talking to uh, some of the viewers, and then suddenly it exploded into something that I said I wasn't really keen on doing watching a game uh, and talking about it. So, which is what ended up happening in that second half. The reason I don't want to do it is because I get quite emotionally involved in the game and I'm not really telling anybody what's happening. I'm going, oh, ooh, oh, come on, man. So you don't really get a lot from me tactical-wise or even, you know, I'd never make as a commentator because I'm always too emotional about it. But it was it was a tough old watch and watching mistake after mistake. You know, people can, some people turn around and say, look, we had to play 80 minutes with 10 men. But it's the way we played those 80 minutes with 10 men. We've seen City, City teams in the past play 80 minutes or whatever, 60, 70 minutes with 10 men and still look like we've got 12 versus their 10. We, we saw at Everton a couple of seasons back where Walker was unjustly, I think it was Walker, unjustly sent off. We grind it out and got, a, I think, a draw in that game later on. But we, we looked like we had a full complement. We've seen it in many years gone by, I think, against Hull quite a few seasons ago when David Silva had a majestic game. He's got a sumptuous uh, goal from about 25 yards. So we, ca- we are good enough. And what happened against Wolves, I have no idea. I have no proper explanation to see to explain why we couldn't retain the ball, why we were just giving it away to them. And it seemed like when you're 2-0 up with about 40 minutes to go, you should be winning that game. At worst, you should be drawing it um, and you shouldn't be losing it. And why we suddenly became very so defensive. We ended up the, the game with basically five across the back and two defensive midfielders. We had no outlets apart from Sterling who couldn't hold the ball up. And we'd taken off KDB and Mares, who were at some form of outlet, some form of attack. Once we got, you know, we were 2 1 up and then we start bringing more defensive players on. So that was a huge frustration. And that just carried on throughout the, the second half. And then obviously the mistakes. And I didn't have, I don't have any hair left to pull out. What I will say is uh, against some alleged City fans who have really called out Mendy, he made one mistake. He's been getting better and he's been getting, uh, he's not as good as he was in the last two seasons before he got his injuries, but he's getting closer to that. And he made a mistake that players make mistakes. And but some of the vitriol um, directed at him is, is absolutely uncalled for. And to top it all, he was pushed in the box. He, sh- he should have got a free kick. Yes, you can argue, what was he doing shepherding it out when I think it had come off Garcia? You know, there was no, from his point of view, there was no risk. It was a Triori couldn't get the ball without fouling him. And that's what he did. And, you know, you can understand why, once again, 
players just uh, fall to the floor, collapse on the ground, because otherwise they don't get some of these. That was a definite foul. It should have been a free kick. And he was just, un- I think, unfortunate. You can call him unwise as well. Um, but that, you know, can you tell me any more instances during that game against Wolves? where Mendy made glaring errors, where Mendy was at fault or where Mendy wasn't concentrating or Mendy was making poor decisions and poor passes. I don't think you'll find too many. So I, you know, for one thing, people are having a go at him. He's getting better. He's had two seasons out. Give the guy time and let's see how he carries on in the remainder of the season. Does he get his full fitness back? Does he get his full confidence and his full form, his full pace and everything else? Will he be, you know, give him the poor guy four or five more months to see if he's as good as he was uh, as the guy that we bought from Monaco. Well, guys, unfortunately, we've run out of time here. I've got um, a job to go to and I've got 45 minutes to get there. So we'll have to call it at this point. But uh, perhaps we'll... Uh, uh, we'll get into some of the deficiencies of that game at another time. Our next game, if I'm right, is against Everton at home. Isn't that right? It is, yes. It, it New is Year's all, Day, isn't it? New Year's Day, always a difficult game, but we, we, we handled it um, quite well in the in game against them uh, earlier in the season. So let's, let's hope for something positive there, guys, and let's hope for a, a positive uh, 2020. But for now, uh, we'll just have to leave it there and say thank you very much, first of all, to Colin Savage for coming on. Thank you so much, Colin. It's a pleasure, and I uh, hope all, all our listeners have a a very happy and, and uh, successful 2020. And also, Happy New Year, and thank you for coming on to you, Ray. Absolute pleasure. And uh, to your Korean fans, as I'm, I met one young chap from uh, Korean Heritage today, An Yong, Happy New Year. Uh, and that's to all City fans as well, the Happy New Year. And Eric Garcia wishes you a Happy New Year. I think I'll get the video out tomorrow of him wishing City fans a Happy New Year. Fantastic stuff, guys. We'll leave it there, as we said. We'll be back with you after the Everton game. So as we always say, until then, have one on us and up the blues. It's about time that your mind took a heart